Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's About Time for True Crime. Hey. Hey. How are you guys doing? Are you guys like great? You should be. Um, my birthday just happened, so it should be fucking fabulous for you right now. Correct. Yes, we all live vicariously through your birthday. <laughs> I hope that you all had a little treat to observe the holiday. Correct. Um, you got to do yes. something nice for yourself from me for me. Okay? I like it. Yeah. And is that just listening to the Nexium series? Oh my gosh, it better be. This is like my bread and butter. I'm this so excited. This is giving me like, I'm so excited. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. Because... Again, like I said before, I've been so interested in this since you started it, and I refuse to look anything <laughs> up because I just want to be able to like close my eyes and have the story told to me. Uh-huh. And I'm so excited because I believe we're getting into like the worst of the worst in this episode. Yes, this episode is definitely like the climax of crime. If so, you let will. the trigger warning just like rain down. Oh yeah, no. If you could just like bathe in a trigger warning okay. for this episode, that'd All be right. good. Uh, my trigger warning for this episode did include. A lot of dark shit, including non-consensual body-altering brands, kidnapping, holding hostages, and the consistent assault and rape of young women, as well as forced abortions. So Holy shit. Take care of yourself, and if this episode isn't for you, that's totally fine. It's hard to say, hard to hear, hard to see, but if they live through it, we can talk about it. That's kind so. of our motto. Yeah. Well, it's just... I don't know. I think it's so disrespectful to people when they go through like the worst of the worst and people will only be like, I can only imagine. It's like, OK, then do it. Put or yourself you, there. Or you gloss over yeah. the raw awfulness of it. And it's uh-huh. just, I don't know. I think it takes away from what they experienced and how evil the people are that did that to them. Well, and it's like I'm all for understanding why and how these things happen, but I'm never for celebrating and putting up the offender more than the victim of course which i feel like happens a lot like even with this i'm i don't love that i named it keith ranieri like that piece of shit because i don't necessarily want him to get the infamy for it i'd rather the victims get the love but there are just so many i literally couldn't be like you know gina a gina b rihanna yeah Yeah. at all (laughs) 2023 like i can't so yeah um but it's to know yeah. that he started doing this. I mean, he was in he was like what, 19, 20, 21 when yeah. he started preying on teen girls. Oh yeah. And it sounds like this is carried up into his entire life. It's important to understand where that started and where it went cuz you don't just become one day that kind of predator. Right. That's something that takes time, that grows, that sort of snowballs into something bigger. Well, and it's like, I don't think he ever cared. This episode is really the first time we ever see him get like a little paranoid um, and maybe a little competitive with other men. But I think he was such like a type A narcissist that he wasn't phased. Yeah. He was like, okay, there are other dudes here, but like, who's the smartest man? It's me. Right. And they're all like second class. Well, but all the women are just brainwashed and forced to believe that he is and so if he says something goes it's like who am i this weak right woman to and what's question yeah the smartest man in the world and what's fascinating to me is that he gets all of these people on such a positive like 
I, I don't want to say like bait and hook, but like literally he baits mm-hmm. them with the most positive thing you can think of. Like it's not only is he smart, but he's trying to be like he's the most ethical man. And not only that, but he wants to help you become better and you become more ethical and you reach your goals. And you're like, OK, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Like I want to grow. I want to be better. I want to be a better person. And then throughout this whole thing, you're just indoctrinated constantly with women are weak. Women are sex objects. Women um, make themselves the victim if you pretend you're the victim then you did the victimization and there's no actual consequences for your offender and then that slips into him offending against pretty much everyone and everyone letting it happen because they're like this is for my own good well right and I think what really struck me was when you talked about how these girls were like strapped in a chair basically and forced to watch some of the most horrific footage yeah that I've ever like heard of and they were almost questioned and like poked at about why their reaction was so visceral I and, mean, and told that they need to work on that. And it's like, if a video of women that's supposedly real and not, yeah. you know, some artistic whatever, which still is awful, but what's believed to be this authentic, like point of view, right footage of these women being decapitated basically yeah naked in a field and they're so you're supposed to feel any way other than absolutely horrified with your stomach turned well and imagine you i don't i don't want that beat out of me i don't want that that reaction yeah to be changed that that makes you human when when seeing others hurt hurts you hurts you that's to me that's a good thing I think it's important, but I also think it's fascinating, like, just the scenario. So, like, not only are you being forced to watch this this thing, but you're, like, hooked up to wires, and also you're alone with a man in a room telling you that your reaction isn't okay. Like, that, to me, would be so overwhelming. And not necessarily because it's, like, a man, but, like, someone you don't know very well that Mm -hmm. you know is into this because they're the one conducting the experiment basically and then they demean you for reacting like you could just as easily in your mind switch places with any of those women going through that and be gutted over it and to feel like that reaction is supposedly inappropriate yeah because you shouldn't feel that way or s- i don't ever yeah. not want to feel that way no no that's okay Thank i would you. really question my sanity well, and my morals and who i am if i could view something like that yeah. and then be like oh well anyway so on- mac and cheese? yeah yeah you know it's well, just and i think that's something that women have kind of like ingrained into us like i don't know but i assume you too but like when i see another woman there's an automatic shared connection because it is its own unique experience to be raised a woman in, you know, the United States, I'm not sure anywhere, mm-hmm. but like there are specific things that happen to you because of your like birth sex and because of how you're perceived by other people that impact your life so heavily. And to be there where you're seeing like, we're lucky. We live in the U S we have rights. We, you know, exercise most of what we can. Ideally we're getting more by the day. But there are places that women can just be dragged into a field by their hair and decapitated. So, like, yeah, that's going to impact you. For getting an education. Yeah. For for speaking their mind. For for not getting married. For being assaulted. Yep. 
And then there are people that like you can kill your wife if you think she's cheated on you. And that's you're not prosecuted for that. That's nope. celebrated because yeah, it's, it's an honor look, killing. It's going to look awful for you if you don't do that. You know, so, so all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. So being a woman in that chair. Terrifying. Watching that shit hooked up. You're not able to run. You're not able to leave. You're alone in an empty building with a man who says this is a good experiment and you need to wonder why you're reacting this way and again like i think i said before wondering what that walk home was like for her like this was at night and she just has to walk back in the dark back to her apartment to just be like what the fuck just happened and then still get up the next day and be like all right well i'm still making good decisions for myself i'm still here i buy into this ideology i want to be indoctrinated into this stuff and well i would for her to really question that I'm so stressed. I'm so freaked out. I don't know that I want to change this response, but having been so conditioned to question everything you think because you're wrong, Mm -hmm. still she goes and gets this like exploration of meaning. She's still like, I want to fix this. Yeah. Fascinating. Like cult indoctrination is really something else. I don't, I don't know what I would do if like being perfectly sound and logical going into a group of people and then just being told you're wrong like you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong that's not how you think that's wrong i know uh anyway okay so guys we're at the good part and by the good part i mean the awful part we're at like good the most of the worst okay so we're gonna get into part three today if that's cool with you guys um yeah i think i'll like let it slide all right all right so where we last left off with piece of shit keith ranieri Um, was that executive success programs, the company under the umbrella organization of Nexium, was off like a rocket. It was super successful and very lucrative. And we heard about the ongoing victimization of Tony Natale between Keith's relentless sexual appetite and appetite for revenge via lawsuits afterwards, as well as the beginning of the climax to the Nexium series here. Here's what we have in store today. We're going to talk about the Nexium 9 and the beginning of the end for Nexium as well as the start and rise of DOS, the secret sex cult within the cult of Nexium. We'll also see the pertinent role that Sarah Edmondson and husband Nippy, Mark Visante, and the Nexium 9 played in protecting many women from the sadism of piece of shit Keith Raniere and the extension of Keith's brutality through his first line slaves, including Allison Mack. Ugh. Yeah. So just again, remember that trigger warning. This is a big old shitty episode, so... Watch out for yourself, love yourself, do what you got to do. With that, we'll give just a very big warning to please keep your hands, arm, feet, and legs inside the podcast at all times. And you please heard make sure that you are buckled up because I do believe that this will be another bumpy ride. Oh, it's going to be more than a bumpy ride. We're going to run into a twist or two. Okay. So this is like a five point harness we're in right uh-huh. now, like lap oh, yeah. bar and shoulder thing. You got to pull down the shoulder harness because okay. we're going to flip this shit upside down. I fucking love it. All right, let's do it. Okay. So friends, one last thing, as I mentioned in part two, we covered parts one and two with the hindsight knowledge that we have today about piece of shit. Keith Raniere in 2023. For part three, I wanted to try to do this in the perspective of only what the victims knew at this point. And I think I did a good job. But just so that you guys know, there will be times that I'm filling in because I think it's hard to follow without some of the hindsight that we have. So I'm doing my best. I'm going to keep it as straightforward as possible. But there will be times that I have to be like, yes, this piece of shit did this thing. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's start with an update on Nexium. 
It's like late early 2000s, maybe 2010s. Nexium is doing well. And we see how Keith Raniere has gained prominence through the hook, line, and sinking of many prominent individuals globally. From like Alaska to Mexico. Like they were everywhere. Nexium really took off. Terrifying. Um, by the way, in 2018, even the motherfucking Dalai Lama came to visit the organization. Yeah, that's not good. So we left off after we heard about the fright studies that Allie and I just talked a little bit about um, and the Tourette studies that happened where individuals with Tourette's went and did exploration of meanings that quote unquote cure their Tourette's. Yeah, no thanks. And around 2010-ish, waves start happening in Nexium. But to get there, let's hear a quick recap of what was going on in the organization. First, Allison Mack joins. She joins around 2006, um, and she was a, a main character on Smallville. It was a show, I think it was on the CW, that was essentially about Superman, and Allison Mack played Superman's best friend. So she was all over the thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. I feel like I remember seeing commercials for that when I used to watch Vampire Diaries yeah. way back in the day. I'm dating myself. I love Vampire Diaries. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it was right around 2006. She had just picked up that show that was on for like 10 seasons or something ridiculous. Oh, shit, like it was time. pretty big. And so within a few years, her face was plastered everywhere at Nexium. Like she was literally the poster child. And at the same time in 2006, that Allison started gaining prominence within the organization. Jeunesse and the Society of Protectors or SOP was started. And those were the gendered small groups, the ones where Janess was like, women are monogamous and weak and babies and sex objects and men are polyamorous and that's normal. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> no, that's what they were all told, basically, oh, okay. week got in and week out. And so effectively, this conditioned everyone in the cult to ask no questions, be rewarded for doing what higher ranking espions would tell them to do, and then as well to be conditioned to put down collateral, have readiness drills and have blatant sexist teachings that basically primed all of them. Allison Mack provided celebrity status, overwhelming dedication to Nexium, and was also like a living proof for the other Nexium students that if you do really well, that wins you Keith Raniere's good favor because her and Keith were tight. Second, mm -hmm. there were nine very influential women in Nexium that are close with Keith, as well as intermingled with the Nexium students and involved in their life. So, like, we talked about Barbara, we talked about Nancy, there's Pam Carfitz, who later passes, but was the one that I believe drove a lot of women to get their abortions. Um, there was a lot going on, but these women that were smart and capable and kind eased that blow of Keith Raniere, I think, a lot. Right, of course. And so it's a very lifestyle-based group. So, like, a lot of Nexium students only dated other Nexium students. And even then, it had to be, like, an approved sanction before Seriously? they were, like, dating, dating. Yeah. It was wild. There's one woman, India Oxenberg, started dating someone that was, like, one rank higher than her. And they had to have, like, this whole ethics talk or whatever because... Are you kidding me? Yeah. Be because she wasn't worthy? To um, date him or I think there were a few things but like that that wouldn't help her dependency skills or issues or whatever Give it is I know okay which is also what they said when they made her cut off her mom but that's a whole nother story <laughs> so lastly the conditioning in these small groups um the culture that meant nobody was comfortable asking questions all of this together lays the groundwork for the most sadistic cult leader to start his downfall so let's hop into the Nexium 9. 
We're in 2009. And in 2009, there were about nine higher ranking executives at Nexium. They were all women. And if I remember right, they were all involved with Keith, which makes complete sense. Um, this Nexium 9 included Barbara Boucher and quite a few other women. But this meeting they called was a long sit down with all of the prominent women at Nexium, essentially confronting Keith on all of the allegations of abuse and assault. Okay. So Keith doesn't really wiggle his way out in their mind. Like, I think they all had no doubt that Keith was guilty of these assault allegations and uh, I don't know, other abuse allegations. Mm -hmm. But, um, because Keith piece of shit Ranieri is piece of shit Keith Ranieri, Mm -hmm. everything he did was recorded. Because he was paranoid and also thought he was like, I don't know, the best thing since sliced bread. So like, cool. I feel like he wouldn't want everything to be recorded. That's interesting. Isn't it? I feel like he recorded everything because he was paranoid about lies, but then forgot that like half of the shit he was doing was illegal. I was going to say, I feel like he wouldn't really want much of a record of it. But if he's so conceited and so narcissistic that he thinks he's untouchable. Uh Uh-huh. Well, well, then, then he, he wants would, he would just have recordings of himself and then make all of the younger ones watch it all like mm-hmm. on a s- consistent stream or something. Like no, that. literally, like I think he had it so that other people could, quote unquote, learn from it. Imagine the podcast he'd have now. Oh, my God. I want <laughs> Keith Raniere to start a podcast in prison. No. Tell me about how <laughs> shitty your life is. I want to know. Oh, my God. I want it to be shitty. <laughs> so anyway, um, Keith basically gets his way out of this meeting by claiming that nobody else knows what they're talking about and they don't have leadership background, so they wouldn't know what it's like to run a successful business. And by the way, this is my favorite fucking thing. Barbara Boucher is like, well, neither do you. All of your businesses have failed, <laughs> which I'm like, queen. So <laughs> say it louder for the people in the back. Remember, they had dated for like nine years <laughs> and she knew that he was unfaithful with, I think, two or three people during that time. But it was really like 10 to 20. I was going to say, yeah, there was no way. It was and only she a just didn't know. So nobody told her. And I felt really bad about that. But um, anyway, she eventually leaves Keith. And in April of 2009, that was when the Nexium 9 meeting took place. And it was a 12 hour meeting. Like they really sat down and hammered into Keith Ranieri. So according to a Times Union article that was published in 2011, Barbara Boucher states that this meeting is when Keith has been recorded saying that people have died over their beliefs. And has alluded to having people killed over his. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So then um, basically every woman there was like, what the full on fuck? We're going to leave. What the full on fuck? So um, they leave. And I think it was later in April. I think I saw April 29th. But honestly, it could have been May or something. They stated like irreconcilable differences for leaving. And I think they actually accused him. a divorce? Literally. (laughs) I think they accused him of a few things in that letter, but then Keith piece of shit Ranieri is Keith piece of shit Ranieri. So then he just pointed the finger back at them and like everybody in Nexium believed him. Right. Of course. Um, no, I know that there was at least one sit down after the Nexium nine happened where Keith told everyone that they were like stealing and didn't like him and some other bullshit. Um, but I think it's important to note that all of these higher up women that had a relationship with him and were in the executive like boards for Nexium, they're all replaced with new women from his inner circle. Oh, okay. 
So he just is like, it's time for a change. We had some bad seeds. Like they wanted to steal from us. They wanted to take our curriculum and make their own money with it. They have a vendetta against me, whatever, whatever. And now these women get excited because now they've got a promotion. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, picking up in 2010, after the article comes out exposing Keith's sexual relations with Rhiannon, we talked about this last time. Yes. And he had that sit down where he was basically like, yeah, people just have a vendetta against me or like want to see me fail because yeah, I'm better than them. Maybe it's because you're a fucking rapist. Yeah, it's definitely that. Okay. But then immediately after in 2011, Tony Natale publicly accused Keith of raping her when they were married. Thank God. Which I'm like, thank Christ. But again... Nobody did anything because Keith is like, hey, I don't believe any of this shit and you shouldn't either. Basically said that people wanted the success of Nexium or that with any cultural shift, there's going to be people that revolt. And even like people saying, hey, they just had a vendetta about Keith and nobody felt like they could ask questions. So nobody was like, hey, why do they have a vendetta against Keith? Right. You know, like if you're really the smartest and most ethical man alive, why do you have so many fucking enemies? Uh huh. So... Um, I guess there was just a lot of cognitive dissociation and people moved on <laughs> because people moved on. It's also worth noting here that basically anyone who leaves is blacklisted. So it's kind of like the Amish where like, you know, when you leave an Amish culture and they shun you, like you can't go back to your family, you can't go back home, you can't see anybody, like you're cut off. Yeah, that's why I haven't seen my family in a while. I know, it's true. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, once if you're going to go, you need to be sure that that's the mm-hmm. last of it. You're you're gone. <laughs> yeah. And so this is kind of the same thing. So any of these women are blacklisted. You can't talk about them. You can't say their name. None of that. So it makes it really fucking easy to shun someone and then to talk about the things that they did that got them to leave where nobody can ask questions and nobody can verify. And afterwards, nobody's allowed to bring it up. And it means that when you consistently sue someone and have legal assault that's ruthless and ceaseless, nobody knows about it because you're not allowed to say their name. Oh, God. So you're not going to talk about that or you're going to get shunned. And isn't it Keith that told maybe it was Tony that if he if she questioned anything, then she didn't trust him. Yeah. And And that it was because she was untrustworthy, not because he was. So... These women are told like they don't want to seem untrustworthy right. and they don't want to seem whatever. So they're just going to blindly say, OK, submit. yeah. Yep. Ugh. So we're going to skip forward a few years after everything regulates again to DOS. And DOS is fucking wild. For those of you who don't know or don't remember from the last time because it's fucking Latin, DOS stands for Dominus Obsequium Sororium. I'm just going to call it DOS. Basically, it roughly translates into like the master of the female slaves or like obedient female slaves and slaves and their owner or something like that. Like creepy shit. Sounds great. Um, But at this point, everything is hunky dory. There's no more whistleblowers at Nexium. Nobody talks about them. Nobody knows what's going on. And people that are great in the organization, like Alice and Mac, are living proof that it works. And she can be a successful actress and have all of the things in the world and self-control and Keith Raniere is a bestie and all of these things. I don't like that. So in 2015, DOS is created. And Pam Caffritz, one of Keith's lover's harem members um, and a co-founder of Jeunesse, 
extremely influential in Axiom, like big ticket item human. Um, she passed in 2015 of cancer. Hmm. Now, Keith seemed to really, really care for Pam so much to the point that one of the podcasts I was listening to on Nexium hypothesized that Pam was really the only person Keith loved. And when she died, that's why he went on his downward spiral. I don't know that I really believe that. It could be true. Were they in like a very serious relationship? Yes. Yeah. Like that was another long one for married him. or yeah, I don't think he ever got married. Because, I mean, it sounded like maybe they didn't legally marry, but maybe yeah. they had their own ceremony. I'm assuming it was something like that because yeah. it was a long time and he was very involved with her family, very connected with her. I think they knew each other before Nexium was founded. Imagine bringing Keith Raniere home for like family dinner. Absolutely fucking not. I would never subject Glenald or Sharona to that. Oh my God. Yeah. Mrs. Abel Dabbleson. Yeah. Yeah, don't do that to them. No, never. I I don't even bring men home now, so like <laughs> <laughs> we're good. But anyway, so Pam passed of I think it was like renal cancer or something like that, probably okay, in her kidneys. Tough, yep. But when she passed, pretty much all bets were off the table. And that's pretty much my hypothesis for what happens with Doss is I think that he felt out of control. Like he lost these nine women that were all in his inner circle that he was basically fucking all of them. Mm -hmm. And like they all left their job and him and then Pam dies. And I think that that's like the final straw for him. I mean, as awful as this is, and I don't Mm -hmm. mean to cut him any slack at all. It's not what I mean, but as a human to another human putting myself in his place, I would never have that haircut, but that's beside the point (laughs) Um, to lose 10 of the people closest to you regardless of if that was by indoctrinating them into your syllabus basically yeah brainwashing whatever that is if these are the 10 people you spend the most time with yeah and then in the course of a year yeah all 10 of them are gone i can see how that changes the entire game for him and flips it all on its head right now do did did he deserved that absolutely. But as a human, yeah. to think of like the people, the I how mean, you're going to react to many that people situation. can't even count on ten people you interact with, yeah, regularly to that degree. That it, it's kind of hard to imagine. But you think of a yeah. few, and that's a lot. If they were all gone one day for whatever reason, your fault, someone else's, whatever the the case yeah. may be, maybe if some of them pass, whatever that is, that's gonna suck. That's really tough. But I can see how someone like him. Who could yeah. never fathom people not wanting to be with him. It would just make him double down. Or at least that's what I think would happen. Yeah. And I think that's what happens. But I also think that Pam was like a little bit of a guiding light for him. Right. And then moral compass is gone. So all bets are off the table. Yeah. So. This is what she'd want me to do. Yeah. I don't think so. But um, yeah. Exactly yeah. that thought. Right. So. Here's the thing. This is where we're going to talk about DOS. And I'm going to talk about DOS through the experience of two women who are in it. Um, I think just explaining it doesn't really do it justice. So I want to use their accounts. But I really recommend that you guys all look up interviews with them, specifically Sarah Edmondson, because she's the whistleblower that got all of this shit out there. So she's like very influential in all of this. But also just like the cutest little thing. She's a little Canadian actress. And... 
she's beautiful. She's but not the Smallville one because that's no. Allison Mack. Yeah. Okay. So she, I think she was a lesser known actress than Allison Mack at the time. She probably still is. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I only know her from this because she was so pertinent to saving so many women. Mm-hmm. Um, but she recounts all of this on her own in multiple different things. The media that I re- recommend like the most for learning Sarah's story is the Escaping Nexium podcast because funny enough, her like childhood best friend, like someone who she was friends with all through elementary school, became a journalist and he was the first person she talked to about it. And so wow. this podcast is covered pretty much from right after she escapes the cult to all of the court proceedings we'll hear in the next part. So it's just really good. Ooh. But do recommend that. And now we're going to talk about it. So she is a beautiful woman, a mother, a wife, an actress, a daughter, a leader, like literally the whole package. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I got really familiar with Sarah's story through that podcast, but also through like other interviews that she did because she was really vocal about it trying to like get something to happen Mm -hmm. um and I think that the more that I heard about it the more I related to her like she was just she had a strong work ethic she always had this belief that she wanted to be a part of something bigger than her she wanted to be the best version of herself that she could be and those are all things that really resonate with me and I think that's part of why this case sticks out to me so much is I'm like I if I was in a different place and maybe you know, a little less criminal justice minded, I could very easily end up there because that's the whole premise is like you're trying to do good. It's just being led by the worst person in in the world. And (laughs) it's not like these people are being kidnapped Mm -hmm. and forced into this and they're fighting it every step of the way. These are people that are told that if you want to be different. Yeah. A different version of you and different than the society that you're currently a part of. Mm -hmm. You need to be open to this new way of life and I can see how all of those changes are unsettling, but they're telling you, of course, it's going to be unsettling. This is different than what right. you're used to. You have to, you have to push your boundaries. You have to trust the process. You have to open your mind. You need to change yourself to fit right. this, not change it to fit you because you want to be different. Right. And I think that that resonated with a lot of people and especially where it became this whole community. Like they'd all play volleyball together, by the way, at like really weird fucking hours of the night. Cause Keith was like nocturnal, but oh my God, like see you at 2 a.m. for literally. our volleyball game. And then he would like call people to go out for walks with him at like 3 a.m. I'm like, hell no. If any of my friends call me at 3 a.m., I'm not waking up. But I'm sure as hell not picking up and then going on a walk with you. Like, I'll I was be like, just wh- what jail are you at? Where do I need to bail you out from? Because that's better be the only fucking reason yeah. you're calling me at 3 o'clock in the morning. Literally. Or like, <laughs> who's dead? Like, Yeah, seriously. It's got to be an it. emergency. Not Otherwise, just to go for a no. little evening stroll. Yeah, so that you can record me talking some bullshit like it's a philosophy. You couldn't pay me to go anywhere alone with piece of shit Keith Raniere either. Same. I don't think you could pay me enough to see him, but anyway. <laughs> so, Sarah essentially fell into Nexium, And this happened through Mark Visante. I think we talked a little bit about him last time, but just as a reminder, he was like a pretty well-known film producer, director, but I, I don't know. He might have been a videographer. He was really good with the camera. He ended up becoming Nexium's like entire videographer. So he did a lot of the videos that are out there of Nexium right now. But him and Sarah met at some dinner party thing and he told her about it. He was like, hey, I'm in this thing and I'm doing great. We're doing really good things. We're changing the world. We're becoming better people. I think you'd like it. And so he actually gets her into it. And now I think that her husband, his he goes by Nippy. 
Um, nippy? Yeah. Like but nipply? Like, like it's a bit nipply out? Kind of, like nippy. Yeah. yeah. But his real name is Anthony. Okay. I don't, I don't um, want to know what bet he lost to get nippy. Same. Uh, though I will say it grew on me. I still don't like it. Um, <laughs> but that's not the point. I wouldn't even name a cat that. No. Um, anyway. Sarah and Nippy fall in love. I don't know if they met at Nexium or if they had met previously and she like brought him there. But he also became very involved in Nexium and all of this. It is. Um, And so Sarah became one of the best recruiters along with Mark Visante because she is like a fucking powerful woman. She gets shit done. She, I think, had like the most recruits the first like year she was there. Jeez. To the point where she ended up opening a Vancouver learning center with Mark Visante. Wow. So, so she took it and ran with it. Yeah. And she really made like that became her job. That became her life. Like she made good money off of it at some point. But she also had to put in a lot of time and hours where she spent a fucking ton of money. Because if you guys don't remember, all of those courses were like five grand and up. I know. So she I'm pretty sure was breaking even for most of that time and then started to grow her wealth which was good for her but like she was so involved in this sarah became best friends with lauren salzman i don't know if you guys remember nancy salzman but that's her daughter that she brought into nexium oh jeez. and so sarah and nippy got married lauren actually married them like she did the ceremony it was like the nexium to nexium marriage there ever could be Ew. and like even in the vow when they're recounting they're like it was full of nexium people and like our family is dispersed in between it wasn't like our families and some nexium members right so it was like a thing um i hate all of it yeah it was not great and lauren loved it so did sarah so did nippy and then now that they're out actually sarah in the vow has little post-it notes over lauren's face and everything because it's not enough for her to like cut her out yet but she doesn't want to see her wow it's wild and it's just sad so i think after nippy and sarah left they actually got remarried so that it wasn't just like a Nexium marriage. So they stayed together. Oh, yeah. No, they get out of this together. So which they is went into awesome. it kind of together and got out of it together. Wow. Yeah. They're a really strong couple, I think. I think they're stronger than they give themselves credit for mm-hmm. in a lot of things. But before we get there, I just wanted to like make this known. Like this was their life. Yeah. They were surrounded by Nexium. They had their own community. They had their own neighborhood. I don't know if they were in the Albany neighborhood specifically because there were like a few places that Nexium members just like dominated right. in Albany. But um, because they had the Vancouver Center, I'm assuming they had just their Nexium Vancouver community mm-hmm. with them. But Lauren and Sarah were best friends. Like they were best friends for like 12 years. Oh, that's, that's a long that's time. That's so sad to now be. Yeah. Ugh. So, yeah, it just, like, basically sucks to have your best friend of your whole life, like, has seen your child, seen you give, I don't know if she saw her give birth, but, like, become a mother, fall in love, like, start your family. Yeah, and to the point where now it's, like, post-it notes over her face. Yeah, like, she can't quite just edit her out or, you know, white out her face or anything, but. I honestly don't know what I'd do if, like, someone like you or, like, my roommate and I had like a big falling out. Like I, I don't think I could just like cut out a photo with that. No, you're stuck with me forever, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know. With you, like yeah, could never. But it just makes me so sad for them because I totally feel that. Like I totally 
see how it would be so nice to have this community of people that are trying to work on themselves and be better. And you trust that and you know who they are and their values. Mm -hmm. And that's that becomes your best friend. Yeah. And a friend breakup is so much harder. Oh, it's so true. A relationship breakup that. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that pain lasts longer. Yeah. That's it's just awful. So when Lauren, who obviously is Sarah's best friend, says, hey, let's do something cool together. Sarah's all in. Sarah's like, let's fucking do it. But this is no average secret. It wasn't just that Lauren thought some like coffee barista was hot or maybe she had like a weird sex dream. This was like a secret secret. And it was so secret, Lauren said, that she had to give up collateral to hear it. What? Mm hmm. Okay. So this collateral, according to Lauren, would prove that she wouldn't say anything about the secret, even if she decided she didn't want in. Okay. Okay. So it was weird, but Sarah knew that like Nippy was in that society of protectors, that SOP men's group Mm -hmm. and that they would have to put down money sometimes for their goals. Like they'd put down like a couple hundred bucks and then if they achieved their goal, they'd get it back. And if not, they'd lose it. But that was like on the line for them to do what they say they're going to do. Yeah. And so like it's a little bit of a weird concept. It's like a deposit. But yeah, like yeah. it kind of makes some sense and you're like, okay, well now there's something invested in it, like mm-hmm. it adds another layer. Put up or shut up. Right. And so Sarah thought that she was at least safe with like her best friend and you know, if I send something like crazy to you, I usually don't view that as like, oh, you could blackmail with me with that later. But right. like it had to be blackmail worthy. So it had to be, I think Lauren said it had to like wreck a career. So it could be like a nude photo or like a sexually explicit video or something like that. And, or it could be a secret that you have. And if that wasn't good enough, then you'd have to make up something, which was more damaging. Yeah. Like you could like put down a false allegation of like your dad abusing you or something like that. Oh my God. Yeah. No, it was weird. But the most ethical man in the world Okay. Oh, he has nothing to do with this whatsoever. Yet. Are you being serious? I said yet. So, um, (laughs) we. (laughs) Like, there's no way. We get through this. I think Sarah said she either just, like, told a secret or took, like, a nude or something like that and sent it in. So she had to take a photo. Like, it wasn't even, like, this old thing that she had. It was like, let me just make something that could potentially ruin my life. Yeah. To submit. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So she did. And once Lauren got it, she said, okay, there's a secret sorority of badass women dedicated to supporting each other for life. This is the pitch. Okay. It's like a sorority, but it's a secret. Like, it's just ours. It's just for the women here. All we want to do is help each other go further and push ourselves further. And this is Nancy Saltzman's daughter. Yes. Okay. And the best friend of Sarah. Yes. Okay. So, like, if you had come to me and been like, hey, I'm in this secret club full of women supporting each other and pushing each other to be better, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. Right? So, Sarah's like, yeah, I'm down. Like, I want to get better. I want to grow. I want to push myself. I want to get further into this Nexium shit. Right. And so, it's like a community. And not only is it a community, it's a community for life. So, you know there are going to be other women in it with you. Yeah. It's like an awful sorority. Yeah. It's literally a sorority. So... All of these things pulled Sarah into Nexium, and then, you know, these are lifelong promises and other women pulling her further into this sorority called DOS. Um, and I think here that, especially as someone constantly looking to be better, it's scary to think about how this was pitched because it's like the ultimate Trojan horse, right? 
of like, this is great. This is healthy. This is beautiful. These are women that you love and are going to love you back. Yeah. Yeah. And so Sarah, Sarah's all down for it. And then it gets weird. Like everything in Nexium, it sounds great. And then there's something you have to like look past or look over yeah. like the sashes or calling Keith Vanguard or, you know, any of the little things that, like, I guess I can do that, but it's weird. Yeah. It wouldn't have been my first thought, but sure. Yeah. Like if that, oh, sure. If that's what's going to do it, like that kind of thing. But here's where DOS is different because it was small. Sarah was told there were going to be other women. But because it was so secret, she wasn't allowed to know who they were yet. Like she would eventually, but she didn't mm-hmm. know. So it was just her and Lauren at the beginning. And the part that gets really strange is that Lauren was no longer just Lauren to Sarah. In fact, Lauren was what she now called Sarah's master. Oh, no. And Sarah was her slave. No. And it was controversial, but she said, it's just to make you grow. It's to make you remember that these things are for your own good. Um, And it didn't start bad. It started with things like, hey, text me good morning and good night every day. Stuff like that to show that you have commitment to another person. That you can be reliable for Mm, someone else. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so Lauren said for a lifetime commitment. She is now Sarah's master. I hate everything about this. And it gets wilder. Love you so much. If you ever asked me to like never. be your slave. Fucking never. Bye. Could not. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> no. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm going like, to need IEA you. <laughs> imagine that. It's literally yeah. like your best friend comes up to you and is like, I have the secret. Give me something. So I know you won't spill because it's big. But I have the secret. And then you're like, okay. And then it's like, they're badass women pitched at helping each other get better. It's a lifelong commitment. Are you in? You say yes. And then it's like, oh, I'm your master. No, thank you. No, mm-mm, that's a lifetime commitment I've broken. Sorry. Bye. But Sarah's better than that. So Sarah didn't do that. <laughs> Sarah's like, all right, I'll do it. Like, I'll see how this goes. And so then she learns about the rules. And there are a few rules in DOS, and it's wild. So the first is basically, again, slave and master. That's your relationship with the person who recruits you. They're your master. They come up with assignments for you. And according to quite a few of the documentaries I watched, one of the first goals was usually losing weight, since they considered that to be an exercise in self-control. I'm out. (laughs) Yeah, I'm out for sure. But, like, we'll talk about India in a second. She ended up being so incredibly malnourished that she was like losing hair so it was not a healthy like okay girl like you watch your fruits and veggies like put health first Mm -hmm. it's it's like they'd have to get a little food scale and send like hey master can i have 300 calories before they eat they had to ask permission to Mm -hmm. eat yeah yeah what the fuck Mm -hmm. um and then they would get bigger like the assignments would get bigger And we'll talk about some of that later, but I don't want to yet because Sarah did not go through the assignment that I'm thinking of sharing, Mm -hmm. but India did. So I'll talk about it then. Okay. And since all of the women that went through Jeunesse were conditioned to think that women were weak and self-made victims, they were always like, okay, I could always use more self-control. I'll show you. I'll do it. Like, I'm not weak. Hmm. I'm not weak like you all say I am. I'll prove you wrong, basically. Oh, jeez. 
Um, and another rule that slaves had to follow were readiness drills, which meant any time of day, it could be 3 p.m., 3 a.m., if your master texted you ready, question mark, the slave would have to respond ready within 60 seconds or they'd be subject to punishment. How the fuck would you even notice that? Nope, you have to. Okay. You have to be reliable to your master. <laughs> Is at least what they all said. So, um... These punishments would range from, like, having to stand in the snow barefoot to taking freezing showers or even skipping meal. And then sometimes they were just straight up beaten. Uh, yeah. No, it was bad. And though I don't believe that happened to Sarah, um, I do know for a fact it happened to other people. That they would get, like, whipped or, I don't know, like, flogged or something. And so lastly, slaves had to give continual collateral. And this was never explained up front, but they called it re-collateralizing. So basically, slaves would owe their master new collateral every month. As in, like, information about them? A new blackmail secret, a new nude, something like that every month. And this is her best... Okay. All Mm -hmm. right. I am... Whew, I hate this. Yep. And again, if it wasn't enough... They'd have to come up with something more damaging to submit. Okay. So like Sarah has explained in a few things that she ended up having to give collateral that was completely false because they said that her secrets weren't enough. So like she could give them a real secret and they'd be like, yeah, that's not enough. Give us something more damaging. But if you're someone that's been in Nexium for like decades now. Yeah. You're not allowed to have any of those things anyway. So you're just entirely making them up because yep. every bit of every bit of your life has been so regimented in within yep. the cult that how would you have these things to share? You wouldn't dream of breaking any rules to do that. Literally. And okay. so it right. became like lie and say that your parents abused you, like say that your husband beats your son on video, like uh. stuff like that, which is awful. And so as time goes on, DOS gets bigger and more exciting. And still nobody knows who's involved because they all just know themselves and their master at first. Mm -hmm. And eventually, you know, like Sarah talks about, you know, you go to the meetings and you're like, oh, I wonder who else is in it. Like, who else is here? Who else knows what's up? Because you don't know. Like, you don't get to share about it. Mm -hmm. And so it was exciting then when one day Lauren told Sarah she was going to meet her quote unquote sisters. So everyone who's like a slave, if you're in the same line of slaves, you're sisters. So it's like a sorority family, wow, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, it gets worse. And so Sarah gets told the girls are all going to meet and have a bonding experience. And this is important. This is what she's told. They're going to get a mark like a tattoo about the size of a dime, maybe a quarter. Okay. Small. And so it's cool, it's tribal looking, it has something to do with nature and all the elements. And if you can picture this in your mind, if not, you can check our Instagram. Hey, it'll be on there. But this is what it was supposed to look like. So there's a horizontal line. And then coming up from like the middle of the horizontal line looks kind of like a V. So there are two diagonal lines coming out. In the middle of the V, there's another horizontal line that makes it look like a downward facing triangle. And then on top of that, there's a little mountain looking triangle and another diagonal line that's like parallel with the big V on the right. Okay, I can see that looking like a little tribal pattern. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a lot of lines and it's like supposed to be elements in nature or some shit. Like it was explained to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sarah's like, okay, I'm down. I'm into that. And 
she goes to Lauren. She's like, I, I want to get a, like, a tattoo that's fun. And it's like a secret tattoo. So like it's kind of fun to have a secret sometimes and like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But she gets to Lauren's and I'll be real. I don't remember exactly how this transpired. Like, I don't know if all of the girls met and then they left or if Lauren just brought them each individually as they like got together. But mm-hmm. they are blindfolded at some point and brought to a house and they're told not to look. But Sarah reports that she like looked out from under her little uh, blindfold and recognized the house as Alice and Max. But her and Allison weren't close. So she was just like, okay, whatever. Like, I know this is an Axiom person. Maybe she's in DOS. And they get there. They all have their blindfolds on. They're led to a room and they're told to get naked. And Sarah's at first like, weird why and Lauren's like oh my gosh this is like your body issue like your body image issues you just have to get over it like it's just your body oh okay you're right I'm cured thank you oh wow you mean my body dysmorphia isn't real oh Jesus Christ so um they all get naked and they all go downstairs once they're done from undressing I don't know if they get to take the blindfold off and then go downstairs or they let or whatever but they end up downstairs in this room and there's quite a few of them it's like a group of them And when they finally get to take off their blindfolds and they see who else is in there, it's just like, wow, this is a group of women in your community that you know, that you see every day and that you like. And so it was kind of exciting, especially at the notion of like, you're going to get like a little tattoo. You're all in this together. But before they did that, they had to take and this is this makes me like literally want to gag. But they had to take a family photo. What? (laughs) What? All of the women are naked. I believe all of them have to expose their vaginas uh. and they take a family photo. Uh. Yeah. No, you heard that right. Mm-hmm. And they do this every time they get together now. And what year is this? 2015 at least. Okay. So no like peace signs and duck faces? No. No. Oh. Just you and your vagina and eight of your friends and their vaginas. Just me photo. and the girls. Yeah. Girls night. Woo. Ow. Ow. And wow. This is horrible. Oh, fucking horrible. This isn't even the worst part of this episode. <laughs> but we're not there yet. This sounds horrible. Oh no. This this is bad. This is probably one of the worst or the second worst things that happened. But they all come down, they're all like excited and nervous. I assume like if it was me, I'd be like covering bits up with my hands. Like, of hey course. friends, like how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Love you so much. Stop staring at my fupa. Love yeah. you. Like <laughs> Um, but just, I don't know, like to me, it feel like, it sounds like it would feel like the first time you have to get changed in a locker room mm-hmm. where you're like super self-conscious. You're like, nobody look, oh my God, what's happening? These are all my friends. You all know me. This is all horrible. Yeah. Um, but that's not it because if you remember, they were going to get like a little mark, like a tattoo, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's not. And it's not a tattoo mm-hmm. and it's not little. Um, so the first woman lays down on this table. She's naked still. She's like in kind of like the prone position, you know, it's so like your face up mm-hmm. basically. And what happens is someone who is from Nexium. I assume she was in DOS as well because she was here, but I know at least she was in Nexium and she was a doctor, like an actual, I don't know if it was like a general doctor or a PCP or whatever, but she had her medical degree. She's there with a cauterizing pen what yeah so no it's not her license got ripped from her it did after this as it fucking should good god 
but um yeah so if you remember they said tattoo but it is in fact a brand so they are branding women and this tribal design is not dime size it's not quarter size it's big it's a big brand and so without any sedatives without any anesthetics without anything for pain these women are held down on the table their quote-unquote sisters are at their hands and feet holding down their ankles and their wrists oh my god and they have to say something like please brand me master it would be an honor and this is all videoed yeah and so there's like this whole ceremony where every line that's drawn or like carved i guess into the slave's skin there's like another line read and sarah's fucking freaking out wait so i'm i'm picturing a brand like it, the design's already made no and they uh-uh. just pop it on they're nope. carving it in. yes cauterizing pen one line oh, at a time okay that's uh-huh. It's all bad, but that's worse. Okay. One line at a time while you're being held down by, by a bunch of naked women staring at you, reading weird things about a master. By the women who you're believing are your uh-huh. best friends, the closest people to you. And they're... Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. All right. So Sarah's like... Sarah this, is, this is why women are friends with men. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sometimes uh-huh. because a group of girls. Holy shit. Yeah. No, there's like men are nuts. Women are also nuts. Like, yeah, no, we can, can we get, can certainly hold our own in the crazy category. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. And so all of this is happening, and all of them want to believe it's for good, so they're all doing it. But Sarah's fucking freaking out. She's like, "You told me that it was going to be small. This is not small. You also told me that it was a tattoo. This is not a tattoo. And also, I don't want to do this. Like, you can smell burning flesh." She was like, the second that the first pen did the first line on the first girl, the house reeked of burnt flesh. Uh. And so I can only imagine having to watch other women go through that and then knowing you're next. Yeah. What's better to go first or last? Uh, First, 100 percent. Jesus. And so Sarah goes like it would take hours. Oh, I'm sure it did. So instead of like, I don't know leaving sarah freaks out and goes over to lauren who's like her best friend of 10 years she's like hey best friend of over a decade what in the actual fuck this is not what i was told was happening i don't want to do it mm-hmm. and lauren instead of being comforting or being like hey babe like you don't have to do anything you don't want to do basically was like i thought you were serious about making this lifelong commitment and you're older and you've been involved in nexium longer than these other girls so you have to show them how it's done right wow so sarah lays on the table are you kidding me? Nope. And Sarah's like competitive. That's, I think, part of her nature. But she was like, all right, I'm going to get this done the fastest because the less I move, the quicker it goes, the quicker it's over. Like, and this woman is so fucking powerful when she recounts this. So I, this particular spot where she recounts everything that she goes through is in the Escaping Nexium podcast. Mm-hmm. I cannot recommend enough that you listen to it because hearing her say it in her own words is so powerful. But to do my best at recounting Sarah basically says she lays down and has like an out of body experience so she lays down and she's got these women right like holding onto her ankles and her hands like keeping her from moving and this brand goes on their hip Mm. so it's like in the bikini region and Mm -hmm. it had to be covered by undies because it was a secret 
which I don't know how the hell you expect someone to keep their HIPAA secret from their husband, but they did. Right. And not only that, but it's not even this tiny little thing. It's like right. a good size. Right. So you can imagine it's in the bikini area. I think it was close to the hip. At least Sarah's was. And so she's laying there. She feels this burning in her flesh as they're drawing this on her basically freehand. Yeah, seriously. And Lauren's reading these weird like scripture statement things in between every line that's being read. And I hate this. I hate this. Sarah's like, I had an out of body experience. I just focused on what it was like to give birth to my son and the pain that I felt, but the joy I felt afterwards. And she's like, you look up and you look around and you're surrounded by these women that are all like staring lovingly down at you as they're burning your flesh. And she recounts it. And I like that she says this. She was like, you're bonding, but it's because you're having a trauma bond. Like you're going through trauma together. So you think you're bonding, but really you're just going through life or death situations in your brain constantly. And so she gets done with this and she says that she was so excited. Hers was done the fastest. She didn't scream or cry at all which a lot of the other women did, if you can imagine being branded by someone without any fucking anesthetic. Of course. I'm sure they all got infected. Oh, yeah. And, like, they're not going to heal really, really good, you know? Some of them healed, like, okay. Like, they kind of, the puffiness went down and the redness went down. It looked like a scar. But some of them never did. And some of them had both, like, lines that healed well and lines that didn't. Mm. And so I can only imagine... I'd be pissed, but Sarah was like, I was pissed at first. And then you get out of there and you have so much adrenaline coursing through your veins that you're like, if I did this, I can do anything. And I think that's what the intent was supposed to be, that they're supposed to come out of this. Like, I just did this awful, awful thing. I can do anything. And it works. And now I'm permanently a part of this group. Right. So it secures your attachment it secures you feeling like you might not have a place because now you do you belong you Mm -hmm. have a brand and you did that it secures your membership you have right you will forever be a part of this because a brand doesn't fade in seven years like a tattoo does i mean i have a tattoo in that area and that wasn't pleasant Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah i don't know yeah so sarah gets out of this and she's like It was kind of anticlimactic leaving, but she felt so powerful. And she was like, the worst part of it, honestly, was not being able to tell my husband. Like, I wanted to come home and be like, look at this thing that I did. Aren't I like, I can do anything. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And she can't because it's a secret. And so this was life for a while. Readiness drills, collateral, being there for your master. I think slaves had to do like an hour of work for their masters a week. So like house chores or grocery shopping or something oh, like you. that. Yeah, no, like literal like And who they're your slaves. Who decides who's the slave and who's the master? If you recruit the person, you're their master. If you recruited them into Nexium, Into DOS. Into, uh, yeah, into DOS, sorry. Yeah. Okay. So I think that if you are planning to indoctrinate someone or like ask them to join, you have to get it cleared, but then you become their master. So I wonder if Lauren was like, I want to bring someone in if she could now be a master. Yes. Yes. And, and same for Sarah. So if Lauren pulled in Sarah... Sarah became Lauren's slave. Sarah pulls in someone else. They become Sarah's That's, slave. Yeah, I mixed yeah. up the names. Okay. So it's like a whole family tree. 
basically. So you can be a master and a slave. Yes. In fact, everybody was a master and a slave. Oh, come on. Uh Uh-huh. All right. All right. All right. Okay. So life continues like this for a while. Sarah does her readiness drills. She does her chores for Lauren. She gets her assignments, maybe loses some weight, like focuses on getting more people at Vancouver and growing and all of this. And she does have to take in her own slaves. That becomes an assignment that she has to recruit someone to be a slave for her. And so she was like, I didn't want to do it the same way Lauren did it, Mm -hmm. but she still did it. So she still had to collect collateral. She still had to like give assignments. And eventually one day where all of this is going on, her friend Mark Visante, if you remember him, the one that pulled her in, Mm -hmm. said that women in DOS were being assigned to sleep with Keith. That was one of the assignments. Uh, And Sarah's panicking. She's like, he has nothing to do with this. This was pitched as a women's only women run for women. Like we're just around to help each other grow and become better. And she's married. And she's married. And she hears about this from her friend that she trusts that she opened up a whole ass like center with. Mm -hmm. So she's like, what in the full on fuck? Like what Mm -hmm. is happening? Yeah. And she's panicking and she looks down at her brand and she's like something about it feels weird something about it feels off something about it feels icky and that's when she notices that the tribal elements looked like an a and an m like alice and mac like the person whose house they were at when they were branded um and she was like well that's super uncomfortable especially in light of news of people sleeping with keith for assignments um And so she shows her friend. She's like, isn't this weird? Doesn't the like, does this look like an AM or am I crazy? Mm -hmm. And the friend looks at it and they kind of tilt their head a little more. And they're like, I mean, I see the A and the M, but isn't that also a K and an R? Oh, my God. Like Keith Raniere. And she turns her head and it is exactly a K and an R. Oh, how my stomach hurts. Nauseous do you get the second you realize that a man has branded his initials into your pelvis without consent. And you were pitched as this is like a female Uh everything. And now you've got this other man's initials on you. Yeah. Your husband's probably like, "Mm, what? So she tells her husband she freaks out. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. I hate everything about that. So I just drew it for Allie. So if you just heard her saying that, that was because she just looked at it. But like you could totally see how it might be taken as a tribal thing. It's very straight edged. There's no like uh, rounded corners. Like it's not an obvious R until you look at it sideways. No. And if you're looking at it basically upside down, which is yeah. how it looks like it's put on them, you'd have to what like do some contortion shit in the mirror to yeah. see it you know what i yeah. mean like unless someone else is going to notice it for you and bring right. it up which is what happened here i don't think i'd ever look at that on myself and notice that right yeah <sighs> and so it's terrifying Gross. and ew and each line had to be drawn like uh-huh. yeah no thank you yeah and you can imagine how that might heal funky correct and not look great no. And is on your body forever. Correct. And why they probably had to keep it secret. Because I'm sure if somebody else sees that from the right angle, they're going to be like, what the fuck is that? So they're not allowed to show anybody. 
which I think for Sarah was kind of easy because I think she had had her son relatively recently. could totally see why you wouldn't be able to show someone that or with the right angle, they'd be like, what in the actual fuck? Mm-hmm. Which is what happened to her. What and in the full on fuck? Yeah, <laughs> what love, in the full on fuck? I love that. And I don't, I could imagine being pissed just seeing the A and the M and both of them together. Mm-hmm. That would drive yeah. me nuts. Like I'd lose it. So are Allison Mack and Keith Raniere an item at this point? Not that anybody knows of, but I do believe so. That's so fucked. Mm-hmm. And so she tells Nippy. She's like, I have to tell you something. It's really bad. Please hear me out. Yes. And he does. They're still together. Um, shout out. They actually had their second child after they were um, out of Nexium, And they're so cute. But they named Keith. No. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I don't think. <laughs> no. Um, but Nippy's pissed. Of course. He's like, you're branding my fucking wife. Correct. And by the way, we'll get into this more next time. But just for something to look forward to, he has the best tantrum when he leaves. He goes off. Nippy? Yeah. And they plan it out all this way. Like, it was very strategic. Because you, you can't just, like, leave a cult. But, mm-hmm. like, he intentionally has the biggest temper tantrum and i love it i love it so much. i'm excited for that so anyway later um when she found out that the kr was in the brand and she tells her husband and he freaks out that's where we're gonna stop with sarah okay we're gonna move on to india axenberg who is the other pertinent recounting of dos that i've had Mm -hmm. so far um and india is a conundrum for me I'll explain. She is beautiful. She has blonde hair, like big eyes. Um, very striking. She's sweet. She's like the ultimate girl next door, basically, mm-hmm. if you can think of that. Her grandmother is the princess of fucking Yugoslavia. Oh, okay. Her mother is Catherine Oxenberg, and she starred in Dynasty in the 1980s, like that soap opera. And for India... To be a slave when she came from legitimate royalty is kind of a mind fuck. Yeah, I can see that. But I guess that's the thing about creepy fucks and mind control. They're pretty non-discriminant. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Das got to India too. And her master was Allison Mack. Okay. So it was a little different for Allison in India because unlike Sarah and, Sarah and Lauren, who were incredibly tight before Das, Allison and India became close because of Das. All right. So India said that she was super uncomfortable saying master, like good morning, master, good night, master. So she shortened it to M so that her and Allison both knew she was doing it. But like she didn't have to say master. Um, I'm surprised they let that slide. Right. But I kind of get it. It's still like a way of controlling someone to be Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, no, you don't have to call me master, but you're still going to call me something. And you're going to know that it means master. Right. Um, And so. Can I call you twat? Will that work? Or yeah. Is that no? okay? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> so she's still following the rules. It's all the same thing. Collateral. You have to um, have your readiness drills, be open at any minute, do things for your master. And India becomes super cut off from her family. And this is because India's mom, Catherine, actually introduced her to nexium oh come on they did nexium stuff together and then india got into it and Catherine was like there's some weird shit yeah and it's so funny it was in i think it was seduced the stars docuseries but it might have been in the vow on hbo max mm-hmm. but her grandmother was like 
Oh, yeah, I knew it was a cult from the first time I was there. It was weird as shit, but I wanted to see my granddaughter, so Ugh. I went to a few. Oh, my God. <laughs> and as India gets further and further into this, everyone in her family is noticing that shit is not good. Like, she's starting to break off contact. She's doing things she never would have done before. She, like, missed a Mother's Day or a Christmas or something because she stayed in Albany with Allison and Keith instead of going home. And so Catherine gets fucking scared, especially after Sarah leaves, which we'll get to in the next episode. But Sarah leaves and basically starts putting together this whole case and wants anybody who knows anything to help Mm -hmm. get the word out, like kind of warn people. And Catherine has very limited contact with India. India is told by Das that, and well, and Nexium, that she has intense codependency problems and that that starts with her mom and she needs to cut her mom off because her mom is holding her back. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so the interactions were not only very limited, but I'm sure scripted by Nexium. Like, mm-hmm. I, I doubt that she ever wrote a text and sent it without telling them. Right. For the most part. She does say there was once or twice that she like kept it a secret. Like she sent a happy Christmas video or something to her family. And she was like, I deleted it right after I sent it. I didn't want anybody to know I was still in contact. Mm. Yeah, like it was really isolating. And so when she became part of DOS and Allison became her master, I think she actually moved in with Allison. Because she didn't have a job. She was pretty much gave up everything to be full time in Nexium, And this was her life now like her parents were cut off it's not like she had a lot of money there like right you know she was just doing what she had to do so one day a little bit after all of this her mom like talks to her and she's like okay i need to go to the doctor like something was up i don't remember what it was i think it might have just been a checkup Mm -hmm. but her mom like came and drove her which was nice and she's like okay like things are fine and her mom said something about being in a cult in the car and she freaked out like india did so india goes to this i think it was a gynecologist but there was at least something you know obg related mm-hmm. and the lady was like do you still have your, like she was like when is your last period and india was like i haven't gotten a period in a year and her hair was falling out mm. and she was so incredibly thin that the woman was like listen this would be a problem for fertility. Like if you want kids, you need to knock this shit off. Like you're, you're going to make yourself infertile. Wow. Because that's what malnourishment does. Like it really gets rid of anything that you don't need vitally to survive. So like reproduction, don't need to do that to keep living. Like kidneys, you only need one of them. So your body will strategically start getting rid of things that it can't support based off of what you need to live. Right. And this was like a 500 calorie a day plan. Oh, my God. Ridiculously small. And for those of you who don't know, um, f- like adult females should have something like 1,500 to 2,000 calories a day. Mm-hmm. And men, I think it's 2,000 to 2,500 a day. Mm-hmm. That is like a fifth of what she should be eating. Oh, my God. So think about this. She like weighs four almonds and is like, master, can I have 90 calories? And at that point, she can still be told no. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so um, India's freaked the fuck out. 
Right. And all of that good, like, anorexia side effects, I'm sure it was doing a toll on her. Of course. Um, And so she was super worried after she had this doctor's appointment. She goes back to Nexium and she's like, guys, like, I might be infertile. Like, what the fuck? Like, mm-hmm. this isn't okay. And so Nexium was like, fuck that. You're fine. And India was like, okay, I'm not sure that I believe that. And Nexium hired a doctor for her. And the doctor was like, yeah, no, you're fine. Oh, you mean like a doctor that would brand people too? It's like, okay. Possibly. You have like really good access to like excellent health care. So India said she just trusted the doctors and took it on face value. But in the docuseries later, the one on stars, she said that it took months to even admit that there was something more sinister going on. If you can even believe in something more sinister than that. So. Nope. No, I can't. Catherine went public with a lot of this just in hopes to get Nexium to shut down to save her daughter mm-hmm. because India clearly wasn't leaving on her own. And so India recounted so much of her slave experience in DOS that in the interview that she did on Seduced, she recounts even being given the assignment to seduce Keith. Like Mark Visante told Sarah, and that's what made her freak out. Ew. India was given that assignment. And a lot of women were like most of the slaves were. Mm. I think the only reason Sarah wasn't is because she was married to another Nexium member. Um, so that's where they drew the. L- OK, I assume. So we can brand you. Yeah. This, we'll have this lifelong tie to this man. Mm hmm. But. But you have a husband, so okay. we won't make you fuck him. We'll just have his initials on you forever. OK, cool. OK. Um, so. <sighs> she did this and I think India didn't have too much of a difficult time with the first assignment just to seduce him. Like a lot of women were counted being like, I said, like I texted, you look sexy in your glasses. And he'd be like, you have to do better than that or something like that. Wait, so he was in on it. It wasn't. Oh yeah. No, like they'd have to seduce him, but he knew that they were trying to seduce. Yeah. Him. So it wasn't like, Oh, whoever. Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, all right. All right. All right. All right. All right. And so, Nothing says romance to me like the threat of being beaten if you don't. Right. You know, Yum. like nothing just, you know. Yeah. Get your motor go going like that. Right. And not to yuck your yum if you're into it, but I'm pretty sure you're into it consensually. So that's different. Um, <laughs> oh but God. just like fucking wild. And so the goal of this assignment was always that Keith ended up taking like a nude of them Ugh. that he'd keep. And he took it like he was the one there. They were like on his bed. He would take it. And so India ends up being told that she needs to work on her intimacy issues. As everyone who has ever met Keith does. Okay. So. But not you, bud. You're golden. He ends up going down on her. Mm. Like once a week. Just to work on her intimacy issues. Nothing else ever happened. He just filmed it every week and went down on her. And then there was one woman, I don't believe this was India, but just so that you guys know how fucking disgusting all of this is, like if this hasn't solidified it for you, there was a woman, and I don't remember exactly who it is, but she recounted that her assignment to seduce Keith ended up with him actually taking her, or like she met him somewhere blindfolded, but she didn't know where she was. And he went down on her and she freaked out because I think it was the first time. Mm. But then she heard him talking. So she, it was somebody else. So she didn't even know who was in the room. She didn't know who was going down on her. Uh. And he was just like talking about it. 
while she's being camera like videotaped and i'm like this is heinous like abhorrent like awful and of course you can't ask any questions because if you're being defined it means you need the work right oh my god and the the more you fight back or push it or anything just the more it's going to happen to break you from that right exactly and you're not allowed to freak out because it's for your own good so why are you why are you fighting this? Why are you pushing this? I hate everything about this. Mm-hmm. And so if that wasn't bad enough, I just want to wrap up a little bit with India. Her story is so much deeper than this and so wild as everyone's is, you guys. So like I recommend watching stuff because I can only say so much in two hours, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but like her entire experience was just fucked up. It was so wild and she was so brainwashed into thinking that none of this was for Keith. Because if you remember, Keith is described to everyone as a celibate, a renunciate. Okay. So it's not for him. Mm. He's not getting off on this. Right. It's for you. Right. 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 And it took her months. What a giver, you know. It took her months to even just say that he went down on her. Mm. Like she just, she couldn't believe that it was malicious. Because she was so indoctrinated. And India, I think this is important, has since gotten out. She is healthy and she's regained some stability. I think she's living at home with her mom and their relationship has definitely started on the road towards healing. I think it's pretty good now, but I can imagine there's still stuff that would be really hard. Well, and didn't her mom introduce her to it? Yeah. So I'm sure there's a lot of guilt there for her mom, too, because her mom didn't stay. It's not like her mom got super, like, balls deep in it. Right. But her her daughter did. Right. Yeah. And so she's working on recovery from all this shit, especially, I'd say, the anorexia. Like, that's hard when you're given anorexia. Like... (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. You have to ask permission to have anorexia in her case. Mm Mm-hmm. And so she's finally recovering. She has a fiance who is kind and funny and she's just rebuilding like a beautiful life for herself. So I'm really proud of her. And I wanted to throw that out there because she does not deserve to be defined by this piece of shit. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very glad. And she actually does a lot of speaking now for like schools and at events where she talks about how people get indoctrinated into cults because it's the whole idea that I that could never happen to me. But that here's this people. Here's this princess, right, or relative of a, a royal beautiful, family, successful, kind, and funny woman, with plenty of money and opportunity, and you fall into it. So, like, I think it's super important that she's doing that, and it's good work. But now we're gonna get into the darkest part. We're not fucking there yet. No, no, this is it though. We're gonna talk about Daniela. Okay. Okay. So I consider this to be the darkest corner of the DOS Nexium history. And that might be hard to hear, especially after hearing what we just did about how many women were blackmailed into non-consensually branding their body with Keith's initials and also doing all sorts of slave work for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that doesn't feel like it crosses the line as far as Keith did with specifically three sisters, Camilla, Daniela, and Mariana. Now, in order to get the whole story, we do have to go back in time a little bit. So back to the early 2000s, but we'll catch up back to where we are okay so the three sisters came to nexium after their parents came up from mexico to go to some esp courses 
their parents like fell in love with it they really liked it they're from like a relatively prominent family Mm -hmm. um and so they were like awesome we want to get our our daughters in here too camilla danielle and mariana and so they went from mexico to canada to albany they went to albany yeah um so vancouver is where like sarah and lauren and a bunch of those people were and i think keith kind of bounced back and forth but from what i understand keith's main spot was albany okay so daniella was 16 when she first came she was the i think a younger middle sister like it was a big family but she wasn't the youngest she was just one of the younger sisters Mm -hmm. and she was super gifted and like so gifted that by her first semester of high school she had an offer from a really prestigious school in switzerland asking her to come study there wow so she was smart and she was going places so as a going away present her parents got her some nexium courses to go to Oh, come on. They signed her up for the 16-day intensive for executive success programs, the ESP. With well-intentioned... Keith Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And so Daniela was so incredibly (laughs) smart that when she knew she was going places, it was so exciting to think that she might learn how to do it better than other people earlier. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, think about how far you can go if you know what you knew now at 16. Like, that's wild. Yeah. So... During this 16-day time, though, Keith convinced her that the world was going to end in 10 to 15 years. Oh, okay. Which, granted, it's 2023, so I would venture to say that hasn't happened yet, Keith. Um, and it's almost 20 years later, so that's fuck good. You, Keith. If we haven't said that yet. Yeah. Oh, you, big fuck you to Keith, piece of shit, Ranieri. Um, but he did this to a lot of people. I actually heard about that from one other victim, too, that he, like, convinced them that the world was going to end in a few years. So because of this, he was like, why would you go and study so that you can make a difference later when there's not going to be a later drop out of school and study here? But by that logic, why I'm just going to go fucking backpacking through Europe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, why do I need to learn it if I'm going to die? Yep. (laughs) Fuck it. But she did because she wanted to learn from the smartest man alive Uh, before the world ended and have a chance to help. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I said no offense guy we all have eco anxiety but like it's not ending right now so but either way the smartest man in the world is convincing and Daniela does eventually give up any plans to go back to school and decides to help fight the end of the world with Keith Ranieri as a mentor so Daniela would read like crazy amounts of science books and she would analyze them and give reports to Keith Okay. So uh, I'm sure he took credit for knowing all of, of those things when it was really her reports and summaries of books that he didn't read. But she never got paid for any of that. No. And so Daniela did it for like a really long time. And one day, I assume she was just kind of like at her wit's end being alone up there, being unpaid for work that she's doing consistently. And she steals six grand from the Nexium office. Mm-hmm. But Daniela is a good girl. So she immediately returns it and apologizes. She confesses. She's like, I did this thing. It was wrong. I'm sorry. I know it was wrong. All of the money is back. Here it is. There you go. Mm-hmm. And unlike Keith, he actually forgave her. But more like Keith, <laughs> he used this as an opportunity to make a move and he kissed the 16 year old. Not surprised. He was 40 ish at yep. this time. Couldn't even pretend to be surprised yeah and daniela recounts that she probably told her mom because he said keep it between them and i have a feeling if you tell your mom that a 40 year old kissed your 16 year old daughter you're gonna have some shit you're gonna have some shit to say Mm -hmm. i would 
So she didn't, though. And she said she regrets that because she feels like it would have changed history for her sisters, which I feel awful for. But Danielle. But she she listened to the smartest and most ethical man in the world. Yep. As you're probably going to do when you're 16. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your parents send you to go learn from him. Yeah. Yeah. Like talk about a vote of confidence. My Uh. parents sent me to live here. So Daniela and Keith exchange words, comments, emails, all of that. And they start to get increasingly sexual, as you might guess. And Keith would tease about not having sex until Daniela's 18th birthday, which is creepy as shit, by the way. And so one day, and I think I remember this from The Vow, but Keith asked what she wanted for her 18th birthday. And she was too shy to say it. So he was like, okay, if you can't say it, spell it on my hand. And so with her finger on his palm, she spells out S-E-X. Oh. See, if she can't even say Yeah, that, if you can't say sex, you, you're not, you shouldn't be having sex. No. No. Like, if you can't say the word to the person because they're, and they're pressuring you like that, uh-huh. that red flags. Yeah. Waving. And so Keith laughed at her and told her that she needed to lose weight first. Like the fucking cockroach that he is. Oh, you fucking asshole. I hate him so much. Um, and so Daniela says that a week after her birthday, Keith told her it was time. Okay. So she, what, lost the weight that you wanted, you sick fuck? All right. Super romantic for someone to just be like, it's time for you to lose your virginity to me. And then... Um, I guess I can pencil it in. Yeah. I actually booked you for this room for an hour, so that's your obligation to me now. Oh, my God. Um, And so... She says he took her to an office and then he leads her to a room in the office. And this makes my actual guts churn. This room has a dirty mattress and unwashed sheets. Ew. And that's where he fucked her for the first time. And how many before her? Oh, I'm sure tons. I'm sure tons. And Daniela describes this as like her only relationship she got there when she was 16 Mm. and now she's 18 it's two years this 40 year old has shown consistent and incessant interest Mm. so like for her it's not that weird because that's what she knows yeah i know but like it's icky but it's It's awful it's weird but like that's for her that's what love was because that's what she was told and so Daniela's role eventually becomes basically she just gives Keith oral sex anytime the camera was off. Okay. There's even like a little video for, because of course he recorded everything where he's like, so anytime you turn on the camera, you can like suck my dick. Right. And she was like, no, it's when the camera's off. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The 16 year old does not, should not have to take the responsibility for that. You no. Know? No. And not the 16 year old that was groomed and then you know turns 18 and is you magically fall in love on the night of her 18th birthday yeah and not a second earlier yeah okay um so according to daniela's testimony ranieri then asked her to try to hack into a number of email accounts okay you want to know who's involved in that who uh billionaire businessman edgar bromfman senior the seagram's millionaire or billionaire okay billionaire sorry pardon yeah um and she's like what the hell isn't this wrong 
And Ranieri was like, allegedly, he told Daniela, look, if we're trying to build a better world, we have to do unethical things ethically. Which isn't true. So he wants her to hack into his email? Yeah, to Bronfman's. Because okay. Keith was like paranoid that the Bronfman dad was out to get him. Which like is honestly probably not that false. Because I think they recounted that he lost over like $100 million of the Bronfman sister royalty. Right. So anyway, um, the rest of the script that I have for the next few recounts of what happened is taken from a times union article and a CNN article Mm -hmm. because they went the most in depth. But I just want you to know that like some of them, I just had no better way of phrasing. So they're from those articles. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in 2004, Daniela was forced to return to Mexico. Her visa had an issue and she was like really sad and freaked out because she had built her life here and had to leave. So she flew home and she was like I don't want to go I really don't want to leave like what do I do and eventually she ends up flying to Canada and she's met with she's met by two Nexium members who smuggled her by car into Albany using a fake ID oh god so now she's in the states illegally oh no and she shortly after had her family join her in 2005 so she was there from like 2002 to 2004 goes home comes back her family follows and i believe they're there legally like i think they might have even brought her immigration papers because she had them to be taken away at some point later okay so i'm assuming they brought those with her but she did enter the u.s illegally and i believe most of her time there remains illegally oh geez so Anyways, it was around this time that Daniela discovered that Keith was also having sex with her older sister, Mariana. Okay. And so Keith is like, all right, um, I want to take a nap with you and your sister. A nap. A nap. And that turns into an attempted three-way. Okay. With two sisters. Okay. That are both young as fuck. Okay. And Keith Ranieri... It was over 40 years old. Okay. And when he removed his pants, Daniela and Mariana both began hysterically crying. You don't want to do that with your fucking sibling. Uh. That's incest. I'm sorry. Like, even if you're both sucking off one guy, that's incest. It's not comfy. Nobody wants it. Uh. He's the only one that wanted it. So Daniela's 18-ish at this time. Yeah. And Mariana's maybe, what, 19, 20? Yeah. Okay. A little older, not much. Mm. Both of them still definitely half his age. Oh, yeah. no, They could be his kids. Oh, yeah. And so Nancy Salzman Mm -hmm. explains after hearing some of this stuff that she had a conversation with Lauren who explained to her, to Nancy, that the only time that Keith ever enjoyed sex was when there was something, like, depraved about it. So, like two sisters or i think he slept with nancy and then slept with lauren mother daughter uh. um in nancy's house when she was gone that yeah, kind there of there had to be something wrong yeah for him to like it and he loved that kind of that thing. doesn't surprise me and so when keith convinced daniella to get her younger sister camilla into nexium uh. he gave her the nickname vc standing for virgin camilla oh Daniela testified in 2006 that she learned Keith was having sex with Camilla when she turned 16. Oh. 
which is younger than 18, by the way. Um, yeah. And so Daniela like testified in court, if I remember right, that she was like, it's kind of fucked up that I felt this way, but I was jealous. Like he made me wait. He didn't make her wait. Mm hmm. And that, like, that's the kind of mind fuckery that goes on. Like, that's grooming. If you have to be yeah. jealous of the fact, like, and not have to be as in, like, it's a choice that she made that she had yeah. control over. But, like, if you are that convincing and that mind controlly yeah. that your, I don't know, child sex partner is, like, jealous that her sister had sex with you younger than she did. That's fucked up. That is so bad. And so now I think it makes no surprise that Keith actually was having sex with all three of the sisters. Yep. Nope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I buy that. And Daniela was actually eventually impregnated by Keith and he forced her to have an abortion. And actually, I believe the same happened with her other two sisters. All three of them became pregnant by him at some point, and he got abortions for all three of them. Oh, my God. Their kids would have been siblings and cousins. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's fucked. And so Keith told all of them that abortion was a great opportunity to lose weight and get fit. And that a lot of Olympic athletes regularly have abortions in their training. What? Uh Uh-huh. So shortly thereafter, Daniela and Keith had a falling out. No shit. Um, but we're going to talk about it because I don't think that that was necessarily Daniela's ideal. Oh, come on. So during all of this, Daniela had met another Nexia member, which makes sense. It's her entire fucking world. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they'd kissed. Ooh. And Daniela told Keith and in one of the interviews, and this like makes my little heart hurt for her. But she was like, this is all I knew. This was the only relationship I had. I knew that he had sex with other girls. Like, this was all I knew of love. Mm. And so she didn't even think twice about telling him. She was like, that was the person that I was closest with. Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell him about things that were exciting. So she told him that she had like a little crush on this guy. And Keith went fucking bananas. Like, this is when Keith starts to break. Mm. So... Instead of Keith responding kindly or excited for the teenager that he started having sex with as a 40-year-old, he got angry, like raging angry. And maybe it was that Danny kissed somebody else, but maybe it was also that he had just lost Pam or that he felt like he was losing his grip after the Nexium 9 left. Or maybe, and I'd put my money here, it's a mix of all of those things. Right. But he fucking loses it. And Keith calls this an ethical breach that's that's where you draw the line do you remember the ethical breach conversations from last time remind me okay so an ethical breach is anytime anybody does something wrong and they're subject to punishment to make up for it right and ethical breaches could be something like um when claire bromfman talked to the press about losing money on the stock market that was an ethical breach an ethical breach is like anything that keith doesn't like or support yeah and then you have to make it up to your community Mm. And they get to decide what the punishment is. So at first, she's trying to figure out how to make up for this, right? And Keith started only communicating with Danny over email. Like he stopped talking to her in person. And these emails were incessant questions about what happened with the other guy. And if 
this doesn't ring a bell. It probably should because this is like almost an exact repeat of when Keith incessantly made Tony Natalie recount her childhood trauma mm-hmm. in that hospital. It was endless. What happened? Take it from the top. Tell me what happened. What did you guys do? How did it kiss? Are you still into him? What like what's going on? And this is like the fir- the, the beginning of the downfall for Keith Raniere. But he took casualties. Mm-hmm. Like it's ridiculous. And so when Danny recounts in a CNN article, all of her position, like all of her possessions were slowly taken from her. He took away her iPad, then her phone, then computer, and eventually even her immigration papers. Mm. So she had no way out. Like she was trapped. Because what is she going to do? Go to the police and be like, hey, I've been here illegally forever. Right. Um, this guy's molesting me. Yeah. They're going to be like, you're over 18 and you're here illegally. You're going to prison or you're getting deported. And now or all of her family is here. It? Who would even believe that, you know? Right. And so now all of her family's here. So it's like, what? She'd go back to Mexico to no one. Mm. So she's not going anywhere. And it should come as no surprise that Keith was trying to trap Danny. Um, she could no longer get out of the country. She couldn't talk to anyone outside of the immediate Nexium circle. It's not like she had her phone or computer. And had they shunned her yet? Or She said it was like a shunning. So a lot of people stopped talking to her. Um, they chose to just not associate, even if it wasn't right mandated until they were forced. You know what I mean? Like a lot right. of people were like, yeah, I'm just going to stay clear of that because I don't want to be in that spot. Yeah. See you later. Um, but before he took her computer, I just want to recount some of these emails because I think they're fucking ridiculous. Um, Daniela emailed Keith and she said she was done and she wanted to leave since her entire time there was quote unquote half dream, half nightmare. And Keith replied saying it's your fault and that Keith needs to be her whole life, not just part of it. And Daniela said she like she replied. She was like, I want to do something with my life. I want to find work. I want to get a passion. I want to make money. I want to contribute. I want to be better. Mm. Like, that's why I'm here. Like, that was the whole fucking point was to be better. It wasn't to like stay here forever. It was to learn and then go off. Right. Right. And so I can imagine how suffocating it must have felt to be so dependent. Like she didn't have money. She left before she graduated high school. She doesn't have a degree. Mm. She is studying under Keith Rainier. She's never been paid. Yeah. But the useless pieces of paper, I'm sure, from yeah. him and thousands of dollars in the hole because of it. Right. And so Keith replied, this is the biggest mistake of your life. That's so haunting. <laughs> so Keith convinced Daniela's family that she was prideful and destructive. Seems like a little bit of projection to me. But what do I know? Um, and Keith told Daniela's family that the ethical breach was not her kissing another man. He never brought that up because then he'd probably have to admit that he was fucking their daughter. Correct. Um, but he said that it was from years ago when she stole the six grand and immediately gave it back. Oh, come on. Uh huh. All right. So come 2009, Danny was steadfast that she wanted needed to leave Nexium. Mm-hmm. Nexium members would say, you can't leave. We did so much to bring you here and you've destroyed everything. Like you owe us. You have to stay. What assholes. And so she didn't feel like she could go anywhere. Again, she didn't feel like she could go to the police because she's going to get her ass deported and never see her family again. Oh my God. And she's got no other friends, no other communication. It's just her alone in Nexium. So after Keith convinces her parents that she is depraved and prideful and all of this um that's when the room came in 
the room. Mm-hmm. See, Daniela had already been focused on how she could fix her ethical breach. Again, it took time for her to have these conversations, to email, to text, all of these things with Keith. So she was trying to brainstorm what she could do mm-hmm. to make it up to him? Right. So, like, I'm sure writing up. apologies, like, doing so. I don't know. Like, she was just trying to make it up to him. I want to throw up. And so none of it ever satiated Keith's incessant ego. And so he convinced her family that the only way for her to fix this was to go into a room in their home indefinitely and isolate. Like forever? Like until it was fixed. Uh. And Danny wasn't interested. But it was her family that got her to do it. Like her parents Mm -hmm. bought into that too? uh Uh-huh. So Keith sits down with her parents. And I'm going to read a few lines from this in a second. But basically he just tells them that they did an awful job parenting. Oh, my God. Um, And he spoke with her mother. And there, there was a recording of this submitted in a conversation in the court. So I have direct lines to pull from it. But he equated her parenting job with Danny to killing a child. Uh, And um, I said I would have just left at that point. But I don't think that's how cult indoctrination works. No. So her parents didn't. Um, But just one line direct from this conversation that should tell you all you need to know about it. Keith said this direct quote. If I were Daniela's parents and she were going back to Mexico, I would make her choose between staying here and doing the right thing or losing communication with me. He said, sometimes it has to be that strict. So he's like, either she can stay in this room and isolate and talk to nobody or you cut her off entirely. So either way, she loses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Says the man with no children. Correct. Okay. So there was no set time that Danny had to be in the room. It wasn't like she was grounded for two weeks. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She was there until she could fix her ethical breach. And now the room was isolated. Nobody else was there. It was dark. They had covered the windows. Oh, come on. So it was just her in a room and her bathroom. She said that she used to like read and reread shampoo bottle covers for fun. She like learned the French on the back of the shampoo bottles. Oh, my God. And the only things she were allowed, she was allowed to have in the room were pen and paper to write apology letters to Keith. And she wrote one every day. Every day. A new apology letter to Keith. But she didn't know this. Keith actually refused to read any of her letters. Okay. So it's not like that was going to get it fixed. But she didn't know that. That was what she was told to do, to go in there and apologize. And this makes me sad, but I think this was really cute. Um, when she would write to her family sometimes, she would sometimes even make like a cute little news article called the Wilton Times, which was like the street that their house was on. She'd be like, what's going on today? What's going on in Daniela's head? Like, here's the Times. How awful. Yeah. And they put her there. And they left her there. And the only person she was allowed to talk to is Lauren Salzman. Her family would bring up like meals and then leave. So she could get the food, but she wouldn't see them. She wouldn't talk to them. And Daniela is going fucking crazy, as you can imagine, being alone. And she cuts her hair. Mm. She grabs like a razor, some scissors or something in the bathroom and cuts it short, like Bob or something Mm -hmm. crazy like that. And so when she cut her hair, she wasn't expecting it to come back to haunt her. Um. It was something she could control, something that might change up the never-ending monotony of being alone in your room with no contact with anyone. Mm -hmm. And when Keith found out, though, 
it was another ethical breach. Oh, come. For Christ's sakes. So now he says she has to stay in that room until her hair grows back to the length it was. Because Keith liked his woman unhealthily skinny and with long hair. I hate him. So that would have taken years. Um, And she stayed in there for a long time. She was in that room for years. What? Alone. Years. Plural. No way. Yeah. And that's why this is so haunting. That door was unlocked. That door was unlocked, but she was so trapped inside of this Nexium community. It didn't fucking matter if she was outside of the door. She was trapped. She couldn't go anywhere. She couldn't talk to anybody. She couldn't say anything. Even if she left, nobody would talk to her. I hate that her parents allowed that to happen, too. Yeah. Yeah. At what point do you look at yourself and be like, no one treats my kid like that? I know that she's an adult and I know that she's made her own decisions, but I have to imagine that there would be some kind of like inner struggle like that's the person you're protecting it doesn't matter that they're an adult that's your child like caveman instinct should come out and say "Uh uh-uh yeah something something maternal and paternal should like be protected jump out from mama bear time yes yeah and so nope she was in there for years and again the only person that she was able to talk to was lauren because lauren was the only one that was allowed to go in and talk to her right and so I think one of the Nexium members testified to not even knowing where she went. They just knew she kind of disappeared. Um, And so either Nexium members knew and didn't care, knew and thought it was important because Keith thought that was important or thought she disappeared like that. They just had no idea. And if you ask questions, you don't trust him and now you're troubled. Right. Okay. So Lauren would also do quote unquote coaching with Danny to see if she had learned from her ethical breach. I fucking hate Lauren. So while Danny was in that room for years, suffice it to say that didn't happen quickly. This makes my heart melt. Like this part made me cry when I was doing my research. But she said she was so starved for human interaction that Danny would lean up against the wall of her room trying to listen to any of the noises that came through the air vents. And once she even snuck out of her room when no one else was home just to get onto her father's Facebook to see pictures of her family. She lived in the same house. She didn't even see them. She had to log on to Facebook to see her family. What awful family. Like, and I know that they're all under the same yeah. mind control, basically. But not even the kids, but the parents. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. How could you let that happen? How could you let three of your kids so close to this man? All three of them got forced abortions. And how did you not know that they're their gravitational pull toward him was sinister how did you not put it together that there's no way that these very young girls should have been so attached to him in that way without something really sinister going on honestly like that is why i think that he got away with so much of this because he was so average looking Mm. because i would never like no actually full offense to keith ranieri but If I saw him, I wouldn't be like, yeah, let's bone. In fact, I think him fucking would not be anything on my mind. I mean, it's not that he's like this grotesque monster, but it's because he is so neutral. He's just so plain. Yeah. And just so like nerdy and like low key. And he's a Bill Gates cousin. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fucked. It's so fucked up. And so 
The time that she spent in her room quickly took its toll on her psyche, as you can imagine. Of course. That's like cruel and unusual punishment. That's literally being like in isolation in prison for years. Yeah. Years. Except she's done nothing. Nothing. She like, liked not another one. boy. Not not a single thing. And she cut her hair. Yeah. Which who doesn't want to? And when yeah. you've got no control over anything else in your life at this point and you are starved for a change and not the monotony. Yeah. Well, and then think about it, too. Like, I don't know. Girls cut our hair for all sorts of reasons. But just to be like, this is mine. Like, I am me. I mm-hmm. can do this. And have that be like, well, now you have to sit there till it grows back. And just want to change. Yeah. Like, there's a reason that people joke about girls getting bangs when they go through a breakup. It's true. We like the change. <laughs> and I mean, not that I would ever cut my hair short like that because I'm short with very dark hair and I would be Lord Farquaad. <laughs> but... I can understand the drive to just want to change something. Sometimes you want highlights. Yeah. Sometimes you need a new outfit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you want a new pair of shoes. It's true. And I know I'm naming like material things, but sometimes you just need a change. Need something tangible and visible. Yeah. To alter. Well, and it's like when they talk about people who are molested or assaulted or victimized in some way, just taking something back that's theirs. This is mine. You didn't touch me like this. This isn't your hair. Mm-hmm. Like, or this is, I'm taking it back and it's mine to control now. Right. Exactly. Even if it hadn't been. Right. And so I think that there's plenty of reasons that she did that. And I think they all made him crazy because he wanted the ultimate control. And he honestly had it. Like, I'd say that he had it. Yeah. And the door was unlocked. She testified that even though the door was unlocked, she felt like she couldn't leave. Yeah. And if she did, there was nowhere to go. Yeah, and she wasn't wrong. Um, And so after a while, she actually becomes really suicidal. And I mean, that makes sense to me. But one day she decided she was going to try to take her own life. Mm. Um, And she caught a glimpse of a bird outside of her window with a nest of baby birds. And it changed her mind. Oh. Yeah. And so she said... Fuck everybody. Fuck you, mom. Fuck you, dad. Fuck yourselves. I'm going to live. And she walked out of the room. Good for her. Now, Keith Raniere's piece of shit defense attorney, Mark Agnifilo, Mm -hmm. who we'll also talk a little bit about next time. I find him just as much of a piece of shit as Keith Raniere. Mm -hmm. Um, eh, It's really hard to reach that level, but he definitely hits piece of shit territory. Um, Really? Yeah, not a fan. He argued that Keith's sexual relationships with Nexium followers were all consensual. And during Daniela's cross-examination, he asked her why she didn't just walk out of the room. Why don't you just walk out if you wanted to leave so bad? And Daniela said again, she was like, my family wasn't speaking to me. I have no place to go. And my legal documents are taken away by the urging of Nexium members. So where am I? What the fuck do you think? Where am I going to go? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? So, Danny left that room in February of 2012. She entered in 2009. Oh. So, um, she said she was quickly ushered out of the community. She, like, left the room, and immediately she was escorted to the U.S.-Mexico border by her family and another Nexium member. Okay. And she had $80 left to her name. Yeah, her parents are officially on my shit list. Yep. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. She moved to what she determined... Through an internet search to be the quote-unquote safest city in Mexico, Mexico, and mm-hmm. began to rebuild her life. 
without any community, without any parents. And her no siblings, family. Are, her sisters are still in there. Yeah. Okay. And she found a temporary job, a place to live, and she just started to grow. She got a new copy of her birth certificate and the pieces of paper for her to like get a life and bank mm-hmm. account and all of that. So Daniela said she stayed in touch with few Nexia members after she left, even continuing to do group, like work for the group sometimes. Wow. Um, but it was because they still had her identification papers. Okay. And once she got them back, she started distancing herself. So that was kind of a play on her end that I think was very shrewd. Mm -hmm. Um, And then lastly, she says, as I built a world, it was only after that I was able to look back at the world I was in and realize the monstrosity that Keith Raniere is. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. People knew shit was going on. Like when it got out that women were being told they had to seduce Keith without women were sleeping with Keith, who was the celibate and the renunciate mm. and that Daniela was a thing at all. People started getting word and leaving, which good. They needed to. I don't know if you remember Isabella from last week when we talked about the Tourette's studies. Mm-hmm. She had Tourette's and her symptoms got a lot better, but her OCD and other psych issues got a lot worse right. from Nexium. Um, she said that when she left, she was flooded with voicemails and texts from, like, everyone in Nexium. They were like, where are you going? What are you doing? Why are you gone? What are you doing? Where are you going? And Mark, the other guy who says his Tourette's was cured, mm-hmm. he said that basically she thinks that he's doing all of this and that he's a bad person. And what if women got a brand and they wanted to bond? And it was consensual. Uh, and okay. Isabella and like, I don't know, snaps for Isabella. She was like, what if it wasn't? She's Jesus like, that's Christ. why I need space. Because it could be. But what if it isn't? Mark says my favorite thing. If that was true, Isabella, it's called illegal. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, correct. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's impossible to do. Doesn't mean that that's not what's happening. Correct. Oh, it's okay. called illegal. <laughs> so mark takes it as a personal attack and isabella wants space um but that's just to show you like people knew word got around um and when they left nexium and nexium members did everything in their fucking power to make it a personal attack and not about keith ranieri so that people would stay i hate this so i wanted to leave this here i will say so Keith, I believe, did a lot of things with Mariana and Cami, Danny's sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, Cami, Camilla, I believe um, he kept isolated to himself mm. and like not isolated the way Daniela was where she was locked in a room and couldn't come out. But I think he moved Camilla to like a different apartment, more alone, more with his people, like his inner circle. Mm. And they had texts forever. In fact, Cammie testified, I believe, in court that he was having her send him nudes by the age of 15. I believe that. Yeah. And he had them all saved. Like, he's not smart. Oh, my God. So where I want to leave this episode is with the fact that Sarah and Nippy are planning to get out. And they have a good plan, and it's a big plan, and it takes down the whole fucking operation. Yes, Sarah and Nippy. I know, right? Snaps for Sarah. Um, no snaps for Lauren. 
No snaps. No slaps for Lauren. Yeah. Snaps for Sarah, slaps for Lauren, and absolute castration for Keith Raniere. <laughs> <laughs> Just flames. Yeah. Yeah. How are you feeling? That's a lot. Holy shit. Yeah. I had no idea about any of this. And to think it all started with a fucking multi-level marketing company. To think that this all ended in the last two decades. Oh, he's still appealing convictions. This wasn't two decades. This was like two years since the court stuff. No, oh, yeah. I don't want to think about that. It's like a long time ago. It's okay. Like okay. Forever ago. ago. <laughs> uh, 24 months ago. <laughs> so long. 104 weeks. <laughs> so that is part three of Nexium, the secret sex cult, DOS, and the room. That's horrible. I just like my heart breaks for Danny so much. Like all three of those sisters. But can you imagine being the one that was like, this is a gift because you're so talented. And then having a future and having places to go and having that taken away to the point where you end up in your own room alone for years. For having it taken away by the same people who gave it to you. Yeah. Hell no. But fuck her parents, dude. I'm so mad oh, about yeah. that because... I completely understand initially yeah. being swept into all of the glitz and glamour of it and how oh, this yeah. is only for the elite and our daughter's elite and so she could go and what an opportunity. Right. But when she's being punished for something that they're told is stealing money like six years prior. Yeah. That she gave back. Yeah. When she was a child. Yeah. Like, and you can sleep at night knowing that your daughter is like being psychologically tortured yeah you know on the other side of that wall and probably physically tortured based off of how many times keith ranieri told her to lose weight like go fuck yourself oh 100 percent. there's so much and that's the thing that fascinates me about this so next time we'll talk more about dos and its creation because i intentionally didn't talk a lot about it this time because nobody who joined it knew what happened Right. And it only came out in the court stuff. So I'll bring it out next time. Okay. But everybody who is an offender in this series that isn't Keith Raniere is also a victim. And it's so fascinating how he gets to blur that line because he makes them do his dirty work. Mm -hmm. But they're just as fucked over as the people they're fucking over. And it makes me so sad because it's just like this never ending cycle. That sucks so bad. Yeah. Um, and also like not for nothing, but DOS scares the shit out of me because I know plenty of people who are very like kink positive, sex forward, who like BDSM stuff, who might get themselves in a situation that if somebody had that bad of intentions could happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that because people don't talk a lot about safe kink play, people wouldn't necessarily realize that. And it's also... Sort and that's of, if they're into it. That's also pitched to them, though, as not really sexual at all. It was pitched no. to them as this is this camaraderie of like-minded yeah. women who want... Hey, boss-ass babe. Yeah, yeah. Goodness for you, who want you to be the best that you can be, who will help hold you to that standard. Right. And you do the same for them. And then it's completely turned on its head when it's too late. Right. And I think everybody thought they were the special one for Keith. I mean, go back to when he was 12. 
He had mm-hmm. girls calling that he was all saying, I love you. You're the special one. You're they should the have just one. told him that his IQ was below average and none of this would have happened. Literally. Be like, you're a dumbo. And he would just be working, you know, McDonald's. some some desk job, some something. Yeah. You know, nothing bad, nothing to, you know, feel bad about or like be successful in his own right singularly. Yeah. Not scheming. And... I don't know. There's just maybe it's because he'd be like in the geek squad in Best yeah, Buy. Yeah. And it'd be like, you have your little niche. You're and good at you're so good at good some at that. stuff. Really cool. But Stick you to it. don't have sex slaves. And we really like that for yes. you. Mm. Mm-hmm. You mean your sexual partners are all consenting and of age? Ideal. Yes. In fact, mandatory. Mm-hmm. Dare I say. Um, so sorry for a super long episode, you guys. I know we really hopped into it, um, and we're still going strong like two hours later, but I just think this is so, this is such an important case and it's so important to talk about because even if you get, you know, I don't know, even if you're India Oxenberg and you're indoctrinated this into this thing and it becomes your whole life. Mm-hmm. Consent is mandatory. It's it doesn't mandatory. Matter. I know. Womandatory, if you will. But um, <laughs> I just feel like you do, like, I, don't, uh, I just want to give them all a hug and be like, it's okay. You don't have to do this. Except Lauren Saltzman. Yeah. Yeah, I don't care. I know. Same I, with Allison Mack. And she's a vi- like, and I know that they're victims too. And again, that's where the, the line gets blurred. But some of that is complicit. There's just yeah, yeah. no way that it's not. No. Some of it you have to be saying, I'm putting my faith here because I don't get why I'm doing this for a be- like a get greater cause, mm-hmm. a better good. Yeah. And there's this um, quote, I think it's from The Handmaid's Tale, and it's better is never better for everyone. Mm. And I love that. And I think that it's so true because anytime somebody's pushing their agenda to get better, it's their better. It's not better for the person that it takes away from. It's not better for the people that whose life it changes negatively. Mm-hmm. Like... Better is solely better for one cause. And for him, his cause was himself and pretty right. much his dick. So pretty much. I'm shocked that there was no rumors of like spreading diseases. Like I feel like if one person had the clap, everybody would be fucking out. Like they were probably brought to the doctor, told it was like something that they did to themselves. Yeah. And given antibiotics that you without ate the too label. Much sugar. Yeah. Like given medicine with different labels on it and told one to take it just like it would be for yeah you know i bet that that's what happened just wild i have such a hard time with this case it's so it goes so deep it's really bad and he's able to do all of this without a lot of violence and that's the other thing that's fascinating i feel like with dictators and things like that there's a specific amount of scare tactic and i mean he uses scare tactics but He's not up there beheading people himself. But it's socially scare tact. It's, oh, yeah. It's like the the social and community yeah. aspect of it that's scary that you don't want to lose. Not seeing somebody hanged because they did something and that serves as a deterrent for everybody else. Right. That's not the kind of, at least so far, I don't right. know. No, I think that's all fair. It's just, oh, it's so fucked up. And Keith Raniere, like... God, I want to test his brain. I want to like hook it up to an MRI or an EKG or any of those funky things that show you everything and be like, puppies. Put an EKG with your heart. Am I wrong? Um, 
Yeah, EKG is your heart. It's an electrocardiogram. I meant an EEG, which is an electroencephalogram. Well, all right then. Yeah, that one. Sorry about it. (laughs) Um, But just nuts. Sorry. I just think about that all the time. I'm like, how does he, how does he think? Oh, and his attorney is a piece of shit. He sucks so bad. In every interview with his attorney, because his interview, his attorney did some interviews for him, like on behalf of him. And he's like, do I think he's the smartest man in the world? Like, probably not. But he's really philosophical and he'll like waste time when we're together being like, now, how do we decide what proper punishment is for people? Like trying to ideal it out and like use philosophy to get out of some shit or something. Yeah, not here, bud. No, but his attorney's like. Just because he doesn't have a conventional way of living doesn't mean it's illegal. And I'm like, yeah, sure. If he wants to fuck a bunch of people, that's fine. I'm sure people would be put off by that. But that's not the problem here, Mark. It is the 15-year-olds, the 13-year-olds, the 14-year-olds, the 17-year-olds that he fucked. It is the (laughs) endless, endless poor advice, false advertising, blatant misogyny and sexism. It's ho- every everything about it's bad, Mark. Yeah, come Pay on, Mark. Attention, Mark. Damn, Mark. Just get off of his side. Like I understand defense attorneys, and if I had to be an attorney, I'd rather be a defense attorney than a prosecutor. That's where we differ. I know. <laughs> well, the thing is, for me, it's more about constitutionality. Yeah. Like I, t- I would take it so seriously if I had to end someone's life per se for so long being prosecution Mm -hmm. with defense you don't have to believe that they're innocent it's just a constitutional right that you have someone competent to argue your case Mm -hmm. so i would never feel bad if i lost cases because it's just that you need competent defense Mm -hmm. get you the best deal you can get Mm -hmm. but now god this guy just like believes in him yeah but what if you got keith raniere off oh no i here's the thing I don't think that a good defense attorney needs to be one with a spotless record. And I think that's where a lot of people differ. And I know that a lot of, well, I think mostly prosecutorial positions are the elected ones. But like defense attorneys, I would never feel bad about not winning a case. Because for me, it's like, well, you piece of shit, you did this thing. I got you the best deal I could. So 10 years over 20, you're welcome. Like, I don't know. To me, it's less about believing them or getting them off any ounce of guilt and more about just being like you don't know how to do this shit i got you i don't know i still think you'd be a better prosecutor oh i'm sure i'd be good at it i just don't think i could i'd like beat myself up about it a lot <laughs> but i'd beat myself up about all of it which is why i'm not an attorney so Correct. yeah um, <laughs> regardless i wouldn't believe piece of shit keith ranieri just because he talks me in circles right a few hours a week yeah i don't care by the way um this genius he is in prison right now he's incarcerated mm-hmm um he used to walk 15 to 20 miles a day according to him Mm. and so also according to him he's mapped out a circle in his cell and walks it enough to walk about 15 to 20 miles a day according to him and his math okay in case we were just like wondering um i'm gonna call bullshit yeah i think that's fair but i think that's really fair well what an episode holy crikey holy crikey crikey yeah, it's that's a criminal a- in his natural habitat. <laughs> that was a really bad accent. That was really it bad. It was awful. No. Anyway, you guys, we got to go. This is depressing as shit, but I hope that you stuck it out with us. I hope that wasn't terribly, terribly triggering for you. It was an awful episode. 
um reach out to your friends and family give someone a hug um unlock a door today unlock a door today except your front door keep that shit locked yeah lock up those points of entry but otherwise (laughs) you know step out of your room see a bird see some eggs have a good day see some eggs It's overwhelming. Oh, There's a lot goodness. of darkness in this one, but it's wild. And it was happening right under our noses the whole time. And I think that's part of the fascination for me. I'm like, how? Yeah, that's so gross. It's how so did bad. this go unseen? Well, if you guys want to see photos of the people, places, things we're talking about, if you want to see our resources, maybe laugh at some reprieves, anything oh, yeah. like that, you guys could definitely check out our Instagram page. Abby, where would they go for that? So you'd go to like our little Instagram and you would search up about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. So that's A-B-O-U-T period T-I-M-E period F-O-R period T-R-U-E period C-R-I-M-E period P-O-D because podcast was too long. Thanks, Instagram. And if you get there, you can see not only the people we're talking about, like Ali said, and our resources and all of that. You can also see that brand that I did a bad job trying to talk to you all about. Um, so that would probably be helpful to get a visual for. And also all of the brave, badass women that we talked about today. Also, if you wanted to see cute little pets and send us yours and their little fun names like Schnookums or Mr. Bubba Wubba Baby Boy, um, please do email that to us. You can also email and request your comments, any of that stuff. But Allie, where would they email? So if you want to email us, you would send that to about time, the number four TC at gmail.com. So that's A-B-O-U-T-T-I-M-E, numeric four TC at gmail.com. We hope that you send us, again, pictures of your cute little pod pets, the names that you call them, a case recommendation. Have we talked about any cases that are near where you grow up, near where you live? Send us, I don't know, send us a message to say hi. Yeah. We respond to you guys. We love it. We really do. And we appreciate it. And we would certainly love to hear from you. Hell yeah. So we will wait for you to slide into our little DMs. Appropriately. Appropriately. But until then, I have to look at my watch and I must say that was about time for true crime. Bye. Later. Later.